0: Hello, Ani. Welcome. Episode five, Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Communities of Wealth podcast. We have a new guest sitting at the table with us, Kendra. As always, I'm Shanna Pelche, facilitating these conversations with my good friend and co-host, Thea. She's back. Hello. Again. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> you have to deal with me. So Kendra, is very, we're very excited to have you here to speak to some of your experiences, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself to our listeners.
1: Yeah, I'm Kendra Kerr. I'm the manager of partnerships and projects with the MLSC Foundation. So we're the charitable arm of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. So all the fun Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto Raptors, Toronto FC, Toronto Argonauts got them all. How do you say that? Like, like, it's not a big deal.
0: (laughs) You just name dropped some major Canadian brands.
1: Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it's really exciting to, for like a lot of people. It, it's been a weird couple of years in terms of like live sports and entertainment. So your work
0: is the use, give money that is like given from these major like sporting organizations. They give that to you to give out to philanthropic.
1: Yeah. So MLSE like supports our endeavors as a foundation and, and we do a lot of fundraising to ensure that we sort of redistribute the wealth um, that comes in.
2: And you also get um, uh, through, well, in another lifetime, like through ticket sales too, right? Like, and in, in the actual like arenas?
1: Yeah, so we, we do a bunch of our fundraising through Change the Game um, 50-50 sales. So,
2: 50-50 sales, yeah, there we yeah,
1: go. Yeah, so 50-50 sales in arena. So um, a ton of the funds that we distribute to Ontario communities are, are through that. Mm.
0: And so how long have you been working there? And how did you, when did your path intersect with OIP?
1: So I've been at MLSC for um, like eight years. Um, My path intersected with OIP, more specifically with Thea. um, Oh God, three years ago, three, four years ago. I want to say probably about four years. Yeah. So we were both at um, a conference (laughs) and it did not go well. It didn't go
2: well. It did not go well. For some context, we had, uh, I'm not going to go into detail about it, but like we hosted, we were part of a hosting team of uh, trying to, the intention was to try to bring together youth in Thunder Bay and have an opportunity to mingle, I guess, with funders. And so um, the way in which it happened was not great. And uh, so Kendra and I met in hot water <laughs> sitting in a room that we got kicked out of. <laughs> what? Yeah, the youth were like, we don't want to hear from you. And we were like, okay. So we, we, we and they took over the whole conference, which was, was super cool. So lots of learning, but like, yeah. you know, at the same time, we were like, I think we fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to say that like, I remember, I remember very specifically sitting in a room with you and there was a bunch of like, other folks from different, you know, funding organizations and and funding opportunities. And you, you were sitting beside me and you kind of like leaned over and you were like, I heard you were looking for money. And I was like, yeah. And you were like, well, I want to give you some. I was like, cool, because I want to take it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then like, that's kind of like how it, it like started. It was like this backroom, like mafia deal. like
2: Yeah, but it was really straightforward. Like it was... Uh, a, a refreshing like bluntness to it. Yeah. That I've never kind of experienced. You know, you kind of get like flushed out and like asked a bunch of questions from organizations and program managers who are like, well, what is it that you do? You were just like, no, I know you're really cool. Yeah. And we this is the 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 work that we're doing. And you were very straightforward about it.
1: Well I mean I I think we were on a sort of like networking group, like the Youth Funders Network. Shout out to them because we've gotten a lot of contacts through them. But um, we were on there and I had sort of heard heard about OIP and heard of the work that you were doing. Um, And Justin Weeb, who was at uh, Youth Opportunities Fund, YOF at the time. He's now with Mastercard Foundation. Shout out Justin Weeb; He's a real one. Um was just like singing the praises, basically. And we were talking about wanting to get into a space that prioritized Indigenous youth um, as part of our larger granting framework. And this seemed like a really authentic way to do that Mm -hmm. um, in a way that really like fit with the values that we were trying to bring forward as an organization, which was really about, you know, being youth-led and being, you know, community-driven. And what a better way than to literally just take all decision making away from us and say, you tell us what you need. Um, and yeah, you do the work and, and we'll sort of be here to support that. So from your experience, is
0: that a common approach for an, a granting group to be like, well, if you're giving us money, then you're playing by our rules versus it being the other way? Or is it usually the higher ups telling, well, if you're taking our money, then here's these parameters to which you can spend that money.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think philanthropy in general, like if we want to like throw up, you know, the big, the big sort of, um, you know, sector itself, um, it is, I mean, let's, it's really white. And it, it, and it's from people who have a ton of wealth. And usually a lot of these foundations are from, you know, families who have accumulated a ton of wealth And it's, it's like, they're like feeling good about giving back and they get like this tax write-off. So it comes from this very, this place of um, like saviorism. Like a lot of people have talked about like white saviorism and, and how that kind of intersects with, with philanthropy. And I think that's still really prevalent in, in, in a lot of the sector, this idea that like, you know, uh, organizations need to be like the gatekeepers of these funds and like um, you know, need to really, you know, because all of these nonprofits are just trying to, like, take your money and, like, just go off to some nice vacation. It's like, you know, we're grilling organizations on the impact that they're making without even understanding the impact they're making. Like, we want to know all of these outcomes and what they're doing and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we're not doing any of that work. So we end up being, like, this this barrier between the work that's actually happening and um, what we're trying to achieve with those dollars.
0: And so OIP, even from its early days, had a good reputation within the sector
1: that was starting to ripple through. And Yeah, I mean, I can't, I mean, for sure in that group, like in the sort of Youth Funders Network, I tend to not like take a ton of weight from other folks in the sector because I really believe in, and MLSC Foundation really believes in this idea of trust-based philanthropy. And... um you know, moving forward n- not in the traditional ways of things have been done.
0: I've never heard, I haven't heard that yet. Trust-based philanthropy. What kind of philosophy is that or
1: like ethic is that? Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a new, con- I don't know if it's a new concept. It's a new concept to me. Um, but it's this idea that you're putting relationships first. Um, and that, you know, reporting and and all of those things that you have to check the boxes to make you feel like you're a good funding organization you can just throw out because it's all about, you know, building that trust between people that gets you to the information that you need in like a way more beneficial way.
2: Well, that's, that's also like less cumbersome on the grantees. You know, I, think, um, I think OIP itself has been doing trust-based granting and supports since we, we started because, you know, there's a lot of things that we don't do. And that was also, like, what was super nice about building the relationship with you over the years of, like, you know, you, you essentially treat me in the same way that we treat our grantees. And that doesn't always happen. And it was really nice, really refreshing to have this relationship that was also, like, based on, like, you know, you and I just spending time together and being completely real. You know, like, there's nothing that I'm hiding. You know, I don't have, like, my, um, you know, my radio voice on. <laughs> <laughs> or like, or my office, you know, yeah. answering telephone voice on with you and with anyone really, but like to have that reciprocated in the same way is what I envision as being like trust-based, you know, philanthropy or whatever that might be, you know, because we're actually have a relationship personally. And I, th- I think that sometimes is not, um, that kind of closeness
1: isn't exactly celebrated. And that's strange to me because I feel like like, if you're interested in the impact of the work and you want to move this work forward, it's like relationships is the way that you do that. You know, like if you care about people as a person, not just like a product of your funds, um, the, the information and the experiences that you have are, are a lot richer, you know, in the ways that we've been able to like connect with different youth of OIP who are doing really cool projects. Um, in a really authentic way that, you know, in my opinion, didn't feel like it was tokenizing. And I don't think they felt tokenized by it. You you get these like richer stories um, that I think ultimately like fulfill the mission that you're looking for.
2: Yeah. And then there's less fear, right? Like, if you think about it, if we're like, you know, in a sort of quote unquote, like traditional relationship in terms of grantee and funder, um, you're, scared to talk about when things aren't going right. And and those are all fine and, and, you know, no one has to ever worry about that kind of stuff. But when you don't have that trust, you're afraid to go back and say, I'm having a hard time with this or what if this piece of my work is failing and how do you get support around that when, you know, if something like that, let's say for our relationship was happening, it would be very easy for me to be like, this isn't working or like the, And I wouldn't be as afraid because, we already have established our relationship.
1: And that happened at the beginning, right? Like when we were first meeting, kind of figuring out how the partnership was going to work. And that's the thing, right? Like it's a partnership. It's supposed to be mutually beneficial. Um, So when we were kind of negotiating like, okay, this is kind of like what we would normally want to like look for. Like, does this work for you? And you were like, no, this doesn't work for you. And we're like, okay, like let's figure out what (laughs) does work for you. Um, So I think it's about like being you know, for as from a funder, like being flexible that like not everything has to fit inside this like box that you're used to. Um, and, you know, your only responsibility is to be a facilitator of that impact. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Like uh, I, that happens so often too, where whatever organization it is is basing it off of what they deem as being acceptable. And that's really hard to fit into those boxes. And that's what we constantly see is like people being like, well, I really need this money. So I'm going to um, bend and flex myself in, you know, unimaginable ways in order to try to fit into a box that they weren't meant to fit into just to please a funder. When it's like, actually, you know, let's let's work together, mold it together, create this this thing together that feels better that feels good and it's work that we want to do, you know, like there are pieces and places where we are trying to figure out where, cause we, there were some incompatibilities, but it was more about the, the diving deeper into what that actually meant. You know, like where my example would be like, you know, obviously sports and recreation and those types of things where it's like, from my perspective and an oit perspective, our youth are coming in and they're doing projects like, um, Trapping or they're um, harvesting medicines. And these are all physical work, you know, so there's no way you could argue that it's not, but it doesn't look as traditional as like a yoga class or basketball. But it's like, but these are the ways that we need to be creative around um, uh, exploring some of these sort of ideas of like, if you looked at us outside, you might say, well, we, we don't fit together. But it's like, we spent so much time actually figuring out where we do and where we don't and making it something that we both enjoy.
1: Yeah, and and also that just kind of like makes me think about the, the kind of like prescribed box that a lot of funders put um, impact in. And like, it has to be impact in this way. Whereas when we're talking about... Um, you know working with youth and talking about you know a lot of funders talk about wanting to be innovative and wanting innovative projects, but then fund exactly the same things in exactly <laughs> the same way yeah. um, it's like I think we have to expand what we think about as um, you know community work or or you know you've taught me a lot about the tie to to culture and how important that is in for youth in terms of like um building confidence and self-efficacy, like things that we would think come out of sport. We would talk about, okay, well, we want a greater communication skills. Um, and, and our partnership, honestly, has really, you know, opened my eyes to like how important that tie is and how important it is to be, you know, culturally relevant in the things that you're doing, um, which I, I think a lot of times gets overlooked as something to value, from Mm -hmm. a funder perspective.
0: Yeah, I think broadening what we define as innovative work because, like, you know, doing traditional things or pursuing traditional things within community, like, that's innovation. It's not, like, making the new Facebook (laughs) or something, but it's, like, indigenous (laughs) innovation. Like, we were innovators. And so to see youth, like, carrying those practices forward, like, that's what they're interested in doing. And so being, like, you know, having to have those what, are likely tough conversations. And have you had those tough conversations with people around the table
1: to, you know, advocate to fund places like Waipe? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, you know, I'd love to say that, like, every organization that we've ever talked to has been like, 100%, yeah, we want to fund this way. And, and even internally, you know, like, it's... Um, because we operate in a system that is very um, based on, you know, capitalism and— —colonialism. —yep. <laughs> white supremacy, let's just say it. Um, y- you know, we, we have to do a lot of things to sort of jump through these internal hoops to be able to, um, you know, fund these different things. We still have to do a lot of education internally about why these things are important, even with, you know, our leadership team or our board— And that's not to say that they're not, they didn't get there because they did, obviously. But, you know, it it takes that person, and that's maybe what's unfortunate. It's like it takes that person in that organization to want to push for that change forward for things to happen like that. Because the systems themselves are not set up to um, to naturally foster that kind of thinking. Mm -hmm. Because it likes to be... How it is.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and so to want to be something else, how has maybe your work with OIP informed the way that you want to inspire like that willingness to change from folks around the table that you're with?
1: Yeah. I mean, I
0: think, um, that's a great question. Like working with the young people and actually talking to the young people. It's not like, you're seeing pictures of them that OIP is submitting or like it's not that type of process. It's more like you were at the gathering, Kendra. Like yeah. I actually <laughs> spoke to the youth. <laughs> and so you can bring that those stories back to the funders and and maybe that's the process of being like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be the same.
1: <laughs> I think, yeah, it's just about changing the whole. And like, it sounds scary. I think and the, I think that's the thing. It sounds scary to a lot of, Organizations that are very stuck into a certain way of doing things because we're really asking you to change everything about you. Um, you know when when we are building a relationship like that takes time, and you know we didn't jump into something and you know throw an agreement at you and be like, "Sign this, and we'll cut you a check and we'll never talk to you again. Yeah. you know so I think it's about s- slowing it down and being open to building those relationships with communities that you're hoping to impact Um, and recognizing that like you don't have to be the expert in all things and that like communities are very capable and able of making decisions that are best suited for themselves, especially if you're not, you know, intimately involved in that community. You know, I'm a cisgender white person, why am I going to make decisions on what's good for indigenous youth communities, especially rural indigenous comu- youth communities? I live in the biggest city in Ontario.
0: We're sitting in downtown Toronto, downtown right now. Toronto. Yeah. So you know, yeah. like
1: like put yourself in the context of who is best positioned to make that decision. You know, no, the CFO isn't coming to ask me to make decisions around the budget of MLSE because I don't have that experience or that background. so why are we? you know as funders judging um applications on things that we have no experience with mm. i i want to like
2: I, I i would love to kind of touch on like what some of the experiences have been like for you being in that position in an or large organization because I know through some of the relationships that we hold with some of our other funders as well, we hold them in the same way. You know, I'm actually really close with several of our funders in like a very personal way. And um, I I recall having conversations of like what that tension and that pressure that you feel because you as yourself understand because you've come to our gatherings, right? You've been to these places, but there is a a board of directors. There is, you know, CEOs and, you know, people who are higher up that are not. But those are the people who are making decisions. And it's like you said, well, you're not going to your CFO and, and you, know, you know, they're not asking you for advice on a budget. But at the same time, like, you have knowledge, intimate knowledge that they don't know that could also help influence the way that they work. Yeah. So I guess, like, I want to know, like, what is the, how have you experienced some of those tensions in that space? Because, like, you're such a huge advocate for us and
1: i mean i think you've heard me say this before but i literally go into work every day just trying to get fired yeah fuck yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> i had that in
1: my notes as like bring up famous quote <laughs> bring up famous quote <laughs> yeah. and i and i say that all the time and very openly because um, you know i have a lot of privilege in in my life you know i have a partner who will support me so like if i got for, for, fired tomorrow like it would not matter um, i'd find another job and it would be fine so I think there's like you, you know you have I'm inspired it. by that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's a really job good. like it'll be fine. And and I love the work that we do and I love the organization that we work for but I think um you know that that sort of tension around pushing people forward and um having those conversations it is like a difficult one and I think you know you have to be willing to put yourself in that position of of like potentially being fired. Um, risking yeah. you know, the level of risk that happens there. Because that's rare, you know? Like yeah. there's not a lot of people
2: yeah. who are willing and nor would anyone really expect it. But when you have someone in this position like this, like it's really, really cool to think that there's this person who is like all in and oh, yeah. not afraid.
1: No, and I, and I think it's because I maybe perhaps have seen the reverse, like where it is this like very like gross relationship. And I think part of that's just me as a person, you know, like I'm just very interested in in building relationships and interested in people and um and wanting to get to know them. And so, you know, been on the reverse end of, of what our relationship would look like, Thea, in um, something that like feels kind of gross, like it feels very transactional. So I think, yeah, I mean- there's a lot of burden, I think, on people. You know, not to like to my own horn here, but like, <laughs> there's a it's, there's a lot of burden on on like people in positions like mine who are trying to move organizations mm-hmm. forward, and that's where the change happens. is is with those people on the inside, um, saying, you know, maybe let's just like let's just try it here, like let's just do this here, um, and you know. I'm thankful because my boss gives me like a lot of space to like do that and always has my back. So, I mean, I I mean, there's a lot of supports around that uh, that enable me to be able to take those risks and 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 push those things forward. So I'm super thankful in in that way. But um, yeah, I just think that there needs to be a lot more
2: of that. Like and it's good to hear that there is a person that has a similar thinking that you do in that same space so that there is an extra level of protection for you and support in that
1: but like uh, yeah she's know. taking a lot of bullets for me in the boardroom for sure
2: <laughs> but like Shout that's out. yeah you <laughs> Bridget, we your best on <laughs> Shout out Bridget. Every time we go <laughs> you know those are like examples I think that need to be shared
1: yeah you know, because like,
0: it's like we are like look, we have one on the podcast. Like there, these people exist within the sector. You, this is just an opportunity for you to find each other. Yeah. And like, do you notice that there's like this tension between like work is work versus like, no, we have an opportunity to like make change. And, you know, being able to, it sounds like you're a little bit more like on the right side of that to be like, no, like I see this work extending beyond just writing the check. Whereas it's, to some people, the check is the change.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. And it, yeah, 100%, that sort of transactional relationship. Um, I think I would, I would see that, that change happening because of the relationship. I mean, there's been, um, you know, e- organizations even outside of wipe that you know, we've worked with over time and we're not giving them any funds now, but we still have that great relationship. So if opportunities come up and we're like, you know, hey, this funding organization that we're connected with is looking for a, you know, youth mentorship program that focuses on Black youth or, or has basketball as a component, we can be like, you know what, we know this great organization. So I really see us as being kind of connectors to other opportunities too. So it's not just, we're not just like gatekeeping all of these great organizations together and like claiming their impact as our own. It's like, we're, we're being like, how can we, you know, get these organizations the most money, connect them with the, with the most rad people to create the biggest impact? Um, like how do we amplify the dollars that we have given out? Cause we give out like, you know, between eight and $10 million a year, but some change. But that's like <laughs> a drop in the bucket to some other oh, yeah. huge really, foundation. My
0: eyes, like people can't see back. <laughs> no, that's like a drop.
1: That's like yeah. we're
2: considered like a small foundation. There is a lot of Junia that is out there. And well, that's what like that's Sam was talking Junia just coin? Like so Junia's is money. Money, yeah. yeah.
0: The zone. The zone, yeah. Yeah. Um,
2: <laughs> But like, you know, one of our episodes Sam was speaking to is like, that's that's nothing. It's It's crumbs you know, a lot of the times. And so it it is like the world is a lot bigger and it goes a lot deeper and those pockets are even deeper than you have any idea, you know. But I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, have you had any kind of personal experience like how having this relationship with OIP and, and now You know, I know that you've built relationships with some of our grantees in different ways. And like, you know, our networks together have like, we have a lot of shared friends, right? I'm just wondering, like, how has that changed
1: you or had an impact on your personal life? I mean, personally, I think it's been a great learning opportunity. You know, OIP really, I see OIP really as like a strong catalyst in our work, to being a bit more risky, and a bit more innovative in our philanthropic decisions, like you know, real talk, we really had to push to get like OIP through all of the checks and bal—I put checks and balances in quotes, um, checks and balances—because um, we were saying, you know, we want fifty percent to go to straight organizational capacity, um, and I think you know maybe we can jump back to that later, but this idea of funding organizations like bottom line and not everything has to be an in and out program dollars um, is like an also an important conversation, but like I digress. Um, but I think OIP was really the first project that we, um, that we gave to that really opened the doors to a lot of the work that we're doing now. And I think built the trust even internally with our leadership team and our board of directors to be like, yes, this can be really, this way of doing things can be really successful. And um, it's opened up the way that we've changed our like granting um, stream. Um, You know, we're a lot more um, explicit about who we say we want to fund and how we say we want to fund them. We have a, you know, announced a big partnership with the Foundation for Black Communities that was literally modeled off of the relationship that we have with OIP. Um, so there's been a ton of learnings that we've been able to use from our relationship uh, to, to sort of grow things internally.
0: I think it's okay to get a little specific. So like thinking about the audience and the types of change you want to see in the sector, like yeah. going back into that 50% example, like why was that important to establish that?
1: Well, I think part of that came from like just or maybe
0: no, just define sorry to like define like what does that mean to have fifty percent go to the administrative costs, where is that not a common practice, or like why was that such a significant
1: yeah, yeah, good point so i mean typically in my in my experience and like thea jump in if if it's like different for you, but in my experience, a lot of funders want to see programs go specifically towards programs or projects like um you know, youth impact specifically, but they don't recognize that like it takes people, it takes spaces, to to be able to create that impact. And so, a lot of the time, um, you know, funders leave out administrative cost. They call them administrative costs, but for me, that's like a it's a programming cost, um, operation for this yeah, to run. Like <laughs> it's like in order to run the program, the lights need to stay on in the building. So, like you need to contribute to organizational costs. And so that's something I've been really passionate about for a long time, but I think it was really highlighted in in sort of our relationship when I realized like it was literally just Thea just, you know, slinging all these grants. And I was like, how do we like support her in the increased capacity that we're going to give OIP with these extra dollars that are coming in? Like, how do we support that in a way that doesn't overwhelm you basically. Yeah.
2: And and that is huge too, because it's like it it was just me for a while. And with those types of supports, now we've got a coordinator, Gabby, who's able to support me. And but we're still a one and a half person team. You know, she's still yeah. only part-time. And like yeah. I think that's something that like a lot of organizations like ours are that are small, you know, you don't oftentimes have opportunities to help increase that baseline and help, you know, get paid a little bit more. Like maybe you can get a raise and also get a new laptop because yours is broken or like some of those very basic baseline things that you actually need to do the work. And that made a big difference for us because then we were also able to put the rest into our granting pool and share that out. And um, it obviously makes a huge, huge impact on how we're working. And so, There's a like being able to go through and have uh, access to, and ours obviously we have. Our partnership is outlined, but sometimes you're able to kind of like find funders who are also able to just give you unrestricted funds, and be like, okay, like allowing you to make a decision on where you put that. It's like because a lot of the times you get like you get funds and it's like, well, it's for this very specifically only, but you might need, you know these materials or this thing might have happened and now you can't go or, you know, a lot of different kinds of factors come into play, but it's like, it doesn't allow you to actually be as flexible as you need to, to get your work done in a good way. And uh, yeah. And that's like, that's really hard to to find. It's like either you've got uh, capacity, it's either for capacity or it's for grants and programming, but they don't like oftentimes like mix. And so having the opportunity to like negotiate that and talk about that and be real about what our actual needs are, because like I find a lot of times you don't want to tell people that you need money to be paid. Right. And that happens with our grantees. You know, they never pay themselves. We always have to go back and say, your program's great, but we're going to increase it by $1,000 because you forgot to pay for yourself for your work. And, um, you know, you forgot to pay your honorariums for your elders or for your youth that are attending or whatever that might be and so there. and and funders will never come back to you and tell you that you didn't pay yourself you
1: know no. like you have to you have to tell them. like oh I can get all this impact for free 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 99 yeah. <laughs> you know yeah no it's totally this true. idea
0: of impact like
1: it's a currency is so interesting but like in philanthropy it totally is yeah it totally is. Like in applications, people are looking like, okay, well, how, you know, they're reaching X number of youth. Like how many dollars does that equate to? Like it's some sort of yeah. like, like, you know, Jenna's secret like metrics. I'm just like, oh
0: my yeah, God.
1: secret metrics. Like, oh, if we spend $100, we'll get, you wait, know, wait, this much impact. And it doesn't work like, like that. Like money ball. Well, that's why it's so <laughs> hard when you get those re- reports that you have to
2: fill out, right? Like I have to do a lot of reporting, even though we don't do that to our grantees um, and, and outside of MLSE, of course, they receive, they always take my annual report as <laughs> my reporting. But, um, you know, there's we always ask those you questions. For some numbers.
1: We ask you for some numbers. Well, we'll give you, you. Yeah, yeah.
2: But you also take my story the way I wrote it. You don't make me 100%. do it in a, in a way yeah. that <laughs> you're like, OK, great story. But can you also fill out this like 70 question survey
1: but also I just want to know
2: who's reading those. Exactly. Like who's reading those? <laughs> oh my those? god. I'm I don't want her started. Like, like no sh- is No, sh- I know I'm getting all I'm getting <laughs> all bothered. <laughs> yeah. No
1: no shame, but I don't want to read that. I don't want to read a 70 page report. I don't have time for that. Exactly.
2: I always think that I'm like, why? Who who am I writing this for? Like, who's reading this? And I'm just like trying to sound real smart.
0: There's a bunch of hours that go into that, like the labor that goes into that. But there's also
2: like yucky questions that happen, like how many youth? I hate that question because I'm like, okay, well, I guess I can just like, you know, here's the amount of grants we gave out. And then there's usually about two youth on that application. And then they're usually serving this way. But like, I can't really tell. In a lot of ways, and so it's like, but does it matter if it was ten youth or thirty youth? Like, does the extra twenty youth make more of a difference for you? you Do you know? feel
1: like if they framed it as like, we just we just want to know a known number because we need to tally it and post it on our website. We don't care if it was two or twenty. Like, would that feel better to you? Well, it would sound more honest. All right, <laughs> <laughs> it's like if so you are just going to be honest about it, be like,
2: we actually have to add, answer this question or ask this question because colonialism Mm -hmm. yeah
0: like help us jump through our hoops too
2: (laughs) well yeah like and that's part of the the trust and the honesty in these spaces like we can be honest about exactly what needs to happen what can't happen you know like Kendra can tell me like you know this year we have to do these things in a certain way or not that it happens but it's like at least I know and understand from your perspective what's going on and we try to do that with our grantees as well being like I, we need to find a charitable home for you because it's the law. And so this is, these are our options. And this is why we're doing this in this way and explaining those things. Because a lot of times it's like, you're just expected to know and understand. And then you're, all of a sudden you're signing a contract and you, you're you're in hot water, you're in trouble.
1: And with language that probably like most youth, I mean, I have a trouble reading most of the, like legalese that are in contracts, you know, like it's not very clear on what, what that entails. And they're basically like signing their life away. Yeah,
2: exactly. There's, we, we don't have to, we don't have those baseline questions of safety. Like how do, what are the questions you're supposed to ask of these things when you're signing and and, and diving into an or, you know, a relationship with a larger organization, uh, how do you keep yourself safe in that? Like, mm-hmm. how do you protect yourself? <laughs> yeah. What are the questions
1: you need to be asking of yourself and of them before you sign? I, I remember when we were like doing our original agreement and, you know, we have standard agreements that we just legal gave us. And so we're like, OK, well, here, sign this. I don't actually know what's in it, but like, <laughs> let us know. I read the heading. Yeah, <laughs> let us know. I filled in the amount. Um, <laughs> And I remember, I think there's like a, there's a clause or something in there that's like, we can use all the photos you send us at any time on any platform. And it's on page like 11. And you were just (laughs) like, and no. And I was like, okay, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Let's not do that. Like, you know. Yeah. So I think it's, it's also like, you know, the learnings that have happened is because you're there to sort of advocate for those things as well. Whereas some other organizations or if it's just like, you know, a little grassroots group, they don't know that they can say that. Yeah, You don't exactly. make it easy for people to, and we, I say like funders, philanthropy, don't make it easy for organizations to come and say like, this isn't working for us.
2: Big time, big time. Like, you don't know, you just don't know how to like, say no to certain things or to also like, like you said, like the language is, it, it's full of jargon. Like, there's a lot of words that, don't make sense outside of the sector. And so if you're not part of it for years and like, still, I don't even know what the hell's going on most of the
1: time. There's so many prepositions, like if and, but so then like in between two words, I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. Well, I felt my blood pressure rise. Yeah. Just like, <laughs>
2: uh, heartburn. It, but like, <laughs> but then all of a sudden, like once you are, like say you're a small org and you receive like a pot of money and you're signing this contract and, that, that's exactly what happens is like they get exploited a lot of the times by, you know, all of a sudden they're seeing their photos on like this large campaign or organization or their website or whatever it is. And they didn't know that they had the ability to say no to that or even pick it out of that, you know, 25 page agreement. And so like then that was something like really nice where I was like that that's not going to work for us. And I was like, Valid. You're like, okay, we'll take it out. And it was like the end. And then we everything was fine.
1: Yeah.
0: But it was really that easy? like Yeah. <laughs> In this instance? Yeah. Is that something that you would say and it is wasn't common
1: like, or no? It wasn't like, we'll never send you pictures. It was just like, hey, could you like just ask us before you use them? And I was yeah. like, that seems legit. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems all right. Yeah. And also because it's like I feel like if you have these very like community centered practices already in your organization, like we would never just like rip off photos and like post them anywhere. But like our group so, advi-
0: our youth advisor, like photo is on your
1: website. I'd be like, <laughs> you'd be like, what? Yeah, but but you know what I mean? Like we would never do that. So like when she said that, I was like, oh, that totally. Yeah, that makes sense. Let's change that.
2: Yeah. I mean, it 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 happens though you know, it happens big time a lot. And so that's just one small piece of like signing, you know, grant agreements and things like that. That is uh, stuff we need to sort of talk about. And we do that at our gatherings too. You know, like we've started in the last few years of like having conversations of like, what does it mean to protect yourself in these places? What are some of the things you need to teach yourself to keep you safe? Like, what are your locations and what are the taxes that you need to think about and how are you receiving these? You know, all of that stuff to help equip some of our young people when they're entering in new relationships with funders that they, you know, they, they're also kind of in on the secret.
1: Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you game the system? The system's fucked up. Yeah. Um, it's not fair. So how do you game it in a way that like benefits you? And like not to be dishonest or anything like that. But like, how do you package the good stuff that you're doing in a way that a person who's likely never going to see your work cares about? Well, and I think it's the, the
2: um, responsibility of funders to be able to do those things. You know, like, I think it's the responsibility of all of those funders who have young people who are running brilliant programs and doing amazing work in their communities to do whatever they can to protect them and help support them in the ways that they need them. You know, like I'm like, it's you're giving them the money to do this. Like you're providing that aspect, but you also should be protecting them because you need to care about them as people. Like Kendra, you write me and you ask me if I'm okay, And that's completely outside of like our work, like and to have someone ask me if
0: I'm doing okay. No. Hey, like, you missed a signature on page three. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, sends a crying face back. And then
2: and like and and but that means something that like is above and beyond. Cause you actually care about and then you it gives you better insight too of what's going on. It's like, okay, well, these tragedies have happened in community and that's having an impact here. And that's why I'm really stressed out right now. And we're just talking as I don't know, as friends, as human beings. And it's like it's it's but that's also just not something that typically happens. And that's not to say like all of our our funders or supporters, um, I have this type of relationship with, but that's why we want to talk about it because it's brilliant.
1: Yeah, I like it. So okay. <laughs> that's okay. she's that's all right, I guess. She's all right, I guess. I
0: she's like, is this over yet? No, never. <laughs> she's like, that is her opinion. <laughs> Ah. <laughs> so I guess, like, having talked about so much, like, how does it feel to, like, do you feel like you're carrying the weight of this work? And how do you keep your fire burning and not, you know, get burnt out by the barriers of resistance?
1: I definitely get burnt out. I think anybody who works in, in, like, sort of nonprofit or works in community, um, gets burnt out because there's just, like, a lot of vicarious trauma happening, um, there's a lot of stuff like happening in communities and, and probably always we're just hearing about it more now. Um, and especially if your work intersects those things, there's like a lot of like collective trauma happening right now in the world. Um, and so especially if you're like trying, if you're constantly receiving roadblocks to like doing the work that you think would like help with some of this trauma and help people feel good. And um, you totally get burnt out. But I think- when you have those relationships, it allows you to like ground yourself in like the reason that you're doing what you're doing. And the reason that you're like having those arguments and pushing things forward and doing 17 business cases. Like, it's like, that's the reason because you're like, you know what? Thea told me about this great, you know, project that's happening in this community. Like, that's so awesome. Like what an impact it's making. And you're like, okay, well- well, I got to send this email. I got to do this thing so that, you know, those youth can have that opportunity.
2: Well, and I think when we have, like, when we do build these personal relationships inside of our work, um, you also have a uh, another person to, like, lean on for support who actually knows what it's like to go through some of this um, in our working lives, too. Like, I... I know I lean upon a lot on some of my, you know, indigenous women friends who are in similar roles when something is like, you know, and it's but like it allows us to be able to like relate on certain things of being like, I understand your frustration because I've been in different positions where I've had to experience that too. And so it's like you have a person to talk to and be like, man, this fucking
1: sucks. It sucks. And sometimes you just got to have that You just got to have that conversation. You just got to say it out
2: loud and be like, yeah, man, it does. And then you're like, all right, I'm slightly recharged.
1: Yeah, (laughs) we'll get on a Zoom and we'll be like, how are you? She's like, fucking awful. I'm like, me too. Thank God.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But like that said, that's the honesty that you're, I'm. at least I crave in some of these spaces of being like, well, at least I know that. You know, these are there's human beings around me that care about who I am and what I'm doing, and not just about like my report. <laughs> Which that
1: no one's nobody reading. cares. Yeah, <laughs> Nobody's no reading one that. Absolutely no one's reading that.
0: <laughs> the report is such a meme at this point. <laughs> I, we should create one. <laughs> so we're we're, co- we're winding down, you know. And I have a few more questions, but I just wanted to raise that we're sort of coming towards the end here, and you know, like what is an ethic that OIP has taught you that you really push forward in your work within the sector. And I'm hearing a lot about like relationships, I think, is really the heart of what we get where we end up in each one of these episodes. But is there anything else that comes to mind that OIP has left you with or continues to
1: teach you or reinforce? I think I'll probably, I w- I'll go back to like the idea of the, these power relationships, these like fundy grantee, funder grantee power relationships. Like we need to redefine what that looks like. And we need to reimagine what that looks like in the sector because um, I don't think it's working for anybody. Like I really don't. Um, and I think what OIPs taught me is that like we can do it so much better. And so how do we push forward to create that change where, you know, funders and grantees operate on a much more level playing field. Like there's
0: a reciprocity versus yeah, you're coming to us. And so we have all this power. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And that you care about it beyond 5 p.m. (laughs) You know, but like that, I mean it like, you know, like that matters because that a lot, a lot of the times you, you are in relationship with someone who you think maybe this is great, but then they don't treat it like they treat it as a job. And for a lot of us, like it's, I don't get to stop being this person that I am at five and I don't get to stop caring, you know, and we have to think about all of these things all the time. And I want people who understand that and who do the same thing are like constantly learning and trying to adapt who they are as people, how they relate themselves in their family life, into their work life, because that will make an even deeper impact.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then I think my second point might be just like build on that is also just like we need to diversify the sector. There's like a lot of white people giving out a lot of money and like we need to diversify it. Um, And I say that as a white person giving out a lot of money. Um. (laughs) It can be. like That point can be made. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like how do we. Um, make sure that there are diverse voices in the room because like, that's really where you're going to get like this, um, you know, diversity of thought and change in the process and the way we're doing things. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of like diversifying the sector. And
0: and has working with the, like, is that an example of that? Or you mean like all the way up the ladder? Everybody.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I agree. yeah So we've got relationships, Like, let's mix it up and change the whole thing. Let's diversify, you know, I think. Start giving a shit. Start giving a shit. Start caring after 5 (laughs) p.m. I think that, you know, what's one thing just to end it? Like, what's one thing that the sector can do tomorrow? That would be like very uh, pragmatic. Like how, like it just, like these ideas seem so big for people. Or how do we start? Like, where can they start If they were to start tomorrow.
1: Stop asking people to report on shit you're not going to (laughs) read.
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) Question your processes. You might think that they're great, but I, I guarantee you they're probably not for a large group of different people. And
1: meet people where they're at. Like, you know, if you, you know, OIP does such a great job of making sure that you know, the majority of barriers to application are removed. So, you know, if you need to, like, text in your application to Thea or call them to, like, fill it out or write it down and mail it in via good old Canada Post, like, like you, we need to start meeting groups and organizations where they're at and, and stop um, expecting organizations to be, you know, as, as like, sophisticated as, like, large banks and, in terms of, like, the process and the way that they do things.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, Kendra. It's been such a joy to listen to you. And I learned a lot from both listening to both of you and about your journey and the change that you're pushing for in the sector. And as somebody who's like sort of on the outside, but also have like received grants from OIP. And I'm down the branch really far from where you are. But, you know, the work that you're doing does have a real impact for people like me who have been able to receive grants because of OIP's structure who gets funded by folks like yourself and um, MLSE, you know, being generous and being flexible. So thank you very much.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for coming and for being part of this. And hopefully we'll have, um, you know, this might not be the only time we call upon you to be part of a conversation, but uh, I know that we're going to be featuring, you know, other voices that are in the same roles and speaking to what that's actually like and being honest and having opportunity to be honest, um, hopefully with no repercussions. So,
0: well, she ain't scared. I'm not scared. Well, you're
2: not scared.
0: <laughs> Just go in and get fired every day, guys.
2: <laughs> that's that's your advice.
0: Just get fired. Just get fired. That may it's be fine. the title of the You'll episode. So. <laughs> Just get fired. You'll be fine. <laughs> going will be OK. All right. Bomb on pee, everybody. Thank you right. for listening. Um, oh, wait, we have to do our group. Yeah, yeah, I was waiting for the group miigwetch. Our group miigwetch. Okay, on to we're going to say miigwetch. Okay. One, two, three. Miigwetch! miigwetch. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye, See you later.